How many people, you're like me, things hit you that shouldn't hit you? And, and like, okay, you're at a funeral. Suddenly you think of the funniest joke you heard at work last week. You're not laughing at people's remorse. You are just, you can't help it. How many people are those kind of people? Just hit you at the wrong time, right? I am one of those people that things just kind of, I, I, it's almost like my mind's just, I don't know what it is. It's like a dream catcher or something. I don't know. It just kind of collects stuff and God uses it. And that's cool. This message is incredibly important, and, and I, I, it was birthed from a journey song, believe it or not. It, from, don't stop believing. How many people know that song? Yeah, they played that at my high school dance right before open arms. I don't know about you, but that, you know, yeah, it was. that's what we rocked to, man. You do the fast dance, you kind of shuffle, and then you do the slow dance, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But also, when I saw this, uh, I saw this um, Hot Wheels, the, how many people were Hot Wheels fans? Like Hot Wheels, it's okay to admit that. I've got a son, that's my excuse. I'm always going through and looking at him like, oh yeah, I've got a kid, you know. They're like, you're real creepy, it's nine in the morning, get out of here. But anyways, okay, Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels are cool. They've got this thing and they especially do it around Christmas. I, I talked to the, the toy department manager at Target and we tried to find one, but I guess these things go quick. There, there is a Hot Wheels that they sell a lot more of at Christmas time. And this, you don't know what the car is. It's the mystery Hot Wheel. And you have to unpackage that to unveil it. It's black hair, and it's just, you know, it's the mystery car. And I thought, those two things, somehow, in my mind, I remember seeing those Hot Wheels, and I thought, there is a message in there somewhere. I didn't know what it would be, but I knew there was something. And those things kind of collided, and and some, you know, neurons and and synopsis kind of fired. And from that, those two came together for me in this message. And then I thought, wow, that is really weird. And I've got to try to, you know, Lord, I want to be biblical with what we're looking about today. You've got a lot to say about it. We're going to close this series with an amazing piece of the relational puzzle that you, you want to have people enjoy in their lives. It's unmentionable in some pious circles. It's unmentionable in a more liberal, in a little, in a little more liberally laissez-faire situation. It, it, the church should stay out of it. The Bible doesn't have anything to do with it in their minds. And I'm like, God, you've got a ton to say about this. It is so important. 25% of the marriages that end in divorce, this is a major significant piece of their demise. And I was like, God, we have got to do this. And you've got to do two things, Lord. You've got to help me not act like Beavis and Butthead when I, when I teach it. Because it's gonna, I'm going to be like 14 years old when I cover this. And so is every guy in the church. But we're going to end the series today with physical intimacy. We're going to end the series today talking about what God has to say about sex. The song for me, the journey song for me, Don't Stop Believing, captures really well the emotional reality, the cultural reality I grew up with when it came to sex. It was all about the emotion, the chase, the physical exchange. It it was reinforced in my home, every movie, not pornography, not that kind of uh, movie, but every movie, that I can remember that this subject was broached or talked about. It it, it reinforced that mentality. My social networks, my dating life, uh, everything in in my sexual exposure was reinforced that it's all about the emotion, the chase, the thrill, the passion. Uh, That was my relational foundation. Not to just, you know, we're not trying to make sex something it's not, but that was my relational foundation. I remember this very well, being taught it from a young age on that you date this kind of person and you date, and I learned what date was later in, in that context, but 
You date this kind of person, you date this kind of person, you date this kind of person, you date this kind of person. And then when you find that composite of all those things that you like, you know, then you marry her. That was that was it for me. So I've got that advice. I've got what I've seen around me, which just the, the landscape was shredded and cluttered with divorce. And I've got this mentality. My foundation was passion, emotion, chase, exchange. And, and I, I gave a nod to spirituality, but when it came to real bonding, where, 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 you, where you go to the test is you can say you believe things, but how do you live? And here's how I lived. I lived that when it came to real intimacy and real bonding and physical intimacy not being the foundation, but a real special part of the situation of, of, the, of the relationship, then I, I felt like I was in a pressure cooker. I felt like I was in a barometric uh, chamber that they were just cranking to blow my lungs out, and I had to go. So it was a two- to three-month thing in a relationship, no bonding, unfulfilling. But that song, don't stop believing. If you know that song, the words just absolutely capture everything about my philosophy and my foundation growing up. Then I thought about this thing, this Hot Wheels thing, and God, you know, it, it represents the mystery of sex. I was like, man, this is really what you package, Lord, in, in a unique way between a man and a woman. You, you've made this unique situation with sex, and it's this mystery around it. There's this mystery to it, and you created that way. And so what we do is we try to un veil the mystery before it's time. We try to minimize the mystery. We take away from what God created. We create all these scenarios. So you've got these, these religious leaders, you've got pastors or whatever, and they're, and they're, they're preaching this distortion and they're preaching and it ends in shame and it ends, and it ends in, in total, it's dirty, it's, it's awkward. So your whole time is spent trying not to do something rather than seeing what God really has to say about it. Then on the other side of the equation, you have other people that are maybe extra biblical or outside of that realm, and they're just saying, throw all the mystery away. Let's just do what we want. Let's be free. You know, we're, we've progressed and all this stuff. But the Bible has more for that. Did you know that none of the Bible was written for you to live in shame? All of it was written to set you free. The whole Bible was delivered by God through people inspired by him to set you free and to maximize your life. And we forget that because it just seems like no, 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 no is all we hear. But see, we, we, we never, a lot of us never get past that stage of the no, and there is a part to it with God that is no, just like your kids. But, but you want your kids to develop where they make choices based on the value system that you've given them, and that's exactly what God does. He not only wants you to do that, he gives you his Holy Spirit to reinforce that you can do it, and you can have this continuing relationship with him. It's amazing. Even the restrictions of the Bible are meant to set you free. They're like the lines on the stage. Maybe you can't see it, but there's a line here because the tech guys got so worried that I was going to dump off. The, really, they wanted me to, but it was like, you know, you might get hurt. we got to finish the service. He speaks long enough. Let's not, let's not drag this thing out. So let's put him a line so he can stay within the boundaries and feel safe and we feel better. And it's, this line is just like the line on a road. On the road, the lines and all these, these signs and all that are not meant to restrict you. They are meant to, to make you enjoy your journey. Because if everybody said, listen, I'm going to cross the line, I'm going to do what I want, this is my life, I'm going to drive how I want, and I'm going to live how I want, there would be so many fatalities. And the same things happen spiritually, emotionally, etc. We're like, all right, God, you've got these lines and boundaries. God said, I mean these for your good. I want these to maximize your life. I want to take your life to the next level. You're like, no, you're not. 
I know what you're doing. I see what you're up to. I know that that's not what you want from my life. You feel like God's holding you back. Boundaries, everything God has to say, totally the opposite of that. But when the worlds collide of what maybe you don't know or what may be the misinformation like, like I got or maybe some of you had received, the, the thing is, though, when those worlds collide, we have a decision to make. We've got this free will. We've got this choice that we can make a decision what we're going to do with the what we're going to do with the information that God reveals. And this subject is no different. God has a lot to say about it. I asked Chris to reference some of this stuff on the screen. For I call it SOS, and, and it is a great book. If you're sexually frustrated, if your marriage is tanking in this area, if you need a spark. You need to see this book. We have spiritualized this book of Christ in the church, and it does represent that. But there is a there is a base physical intimacy to the book of the Song of Solomon that God wanted you to enjoy. I especially love 713 because if you've been married more than a year, you're going to love that verse. If you've been, if you feel like the fire's kind of gone out or the flames burning a little low, of all those verses, write those down, read the whole book, but pay attention to that verse. Now today we're going to read some verses. From 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to unpack these. I want you to look at these with me. 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his wife, his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. She shouldn't have to beg you all the time, fellas. You need, you need to take care of that, okay? It's right there in the Bible. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Here's the only reason, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sometimes when you fast... You know, God said, listen, you can fast chocolate, you can fast carbs, you can do the Daniel fast, you can do bread and water and juice, and sometimes you can abstain from sex. But when you do, as a husband and wife, just do it for a little while. When you do it, give yourselves to prayer. Not arguing, not blowing cold winds each other's way, not sleeping on the couch. It's right there in the Bible. There's all kinds of, of amazing advice. It's, and, and here's the thing, there's the pushback. But you've got to decide when the pushback and the intersection what you're going to do with it, just like me. God takes 1 Corinthians the whole chapter, and unveils the mystery of sex. From single to married, he, he unpacks physical intimacy. And we're going to look at some of this. Don't Those verses that were written that freak everybody, they asked a question. Here's the basis of the question. They were in Corinth. They were a seaport city. They were a place where they had grown up with much sexual freedom, more than we could ever imagine, much, much promiscuity, much more debauchery, much more sexual exploitation than we have today with the Internet. It, it, it trumps us, believe it or not, culturally. It, it, it's, you still see some of this. It's even, even culturally back then it was acceptable to rate. It's not in places like Thailand. It was unbelievable. It was so prevalent in their lives that it was part of their, their religious experience. They had sex when they came to church. Well, you're talking about up in the attendance, you know what I'm saying? Hey, let's, uh, let's do sex day at LifePoint, man. You know, we'll, we'll blow this place out, at least with men, right? That was the way they grew up, though. So they wrote to Paul, and they said, listen, can we have sex if we're not married? We see what you've been teaching us about relationships. We hear what God says about it in the Old Testament and the New. Can we enjoy this kind of friends with benefits? Can we take care of one another until we come in? And Paul said, listen, that's a great question. 
And I'm going to answer that. And so he spent the whole chapter answering that. But if you look at what he said, he gave them great dating advice. He gave advice on what to do if you're really struggling. He gave some allowance for separation in there to, to, to get yourself straightened out and to come back together. He gave, he, gave it, like, he gave advice on what if you're a Christian and your spouse isn't. He gave that advice. He gave what happened if you lose your spouse. He gave advice what to do when you're single and you're, and you're frustrated and what to focus on and how to deal with sexual frustration. I mean, all of that is in 1 Corinthians 7. It's an amazing chapter. Check out the whole chapter. But he gave us enough in what we read today to see what sex is really about. And here's the problem that we have with what we're going to look at today. And this is the problem that has been from the beginning with every issue that man has when he and God disconnect, when he and God disagree. When you look at the Bible and you're like, Jesus, I, I just don't understand this. I feel different. I'm going to do this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off track, and I'm going to do my thing. It's because of this thing that we do. It's a mindset we have. We always feel like with whatever God doesn't give us permission to or God disagrees with us, we think it's because he's holding out on us. We think you are holding out on us, God. That's why you're not revealing this. It happened in the garden. Satan said, yea, hath God said? Has that what he really meant? Now, now he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here's what I think. I think he, and when you eat it, he knows the information you're going to gather, and you're going to be as smart as he is, because there's something he knows you don't, and he's holding out on you. And that has been the attack on mankind's heart and mind and spirit since the beginning by the enemy. And we take it to the next level, and then you put some emotion in there, and you put some guilt in there, and you put some shame in there, and you've got a person that sprints whenever God says anything that's uncomfortable to them. They sprint, and they leave, and they don't stick around because to see what else God has to say about a certain, a certain area or a certain thing or whatever. He's holding out on us, right? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to say, what if? What if culture that bashes against this, what if what you learned in college, what you learned in a social class, what you learned in high school sex ed, what if what you learned in your family that was different than what we're going to see today in the Bible? I'm going to ask you to just say, what if we missed something? What if you're in a relationship and you're looking and you're seeing this and you're saying, listen, I want, I want to do sex. I want, I want sex in my ter- on my terms and my boundary issues. I want to do this. My, what if we just for a moment, I want you to think about how that's worked or hasn't worked out for you. What if we lay that to the side and we say, what if? What if you're in a monogamous marriage and, and, and the physical life is unfulfilling or non-existent? What, what if God has something today? that you can take with you that will change your life? What if this is just stuff we don't know? It's not that we're bad people. It's not that we want to disobey God. You just may have been like me. You may have been on the journey, and nobody's told you any different. What if you considered what the Bible had to say about physical intimacy today and began to push play on this in some of your lives? Here's what I want you to know, just a big statement. This is what Paul revealed. Sex is spiritual, it is emotional, it is physical, and it is intellectual. Sex is. It is spiritual. Two Christ followers coming together in the bonds of marriage. Here's what Paul said to them. He said, listen, great question on on monogamy, great question on sex, great question on sexual needs. He unpacks the chapter. But he starts off with saying, listen, God created this unique, 
unique thing, experience called sex. He created it within the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman. I know that grates everything culture. We're saying what if to consider, right? So just check this out. God said, listen, we're going to create, God, I'm going to create this thing. And the most fulfilling that it's ever going to be, which is hilarious to us, some of us, is that when two married people, one man, one woman come together in physical intimacy, that's the most fulfilling it's going to be. And we're like, God, you've got to be crazy. We know you created this, but give me a break. Everybody knows that marital sex is not the same as dating sex if they had it. God, everybody knows that marital sex is not the same as serial monogamy or multiple partners or swinging. Come on, give me a break. And God said, listen, now, here's what I want to clarify. I'm not saying that those things wouldn't be exhilarating. I'm not saying that those things wouldn't have some amount of pleasure. you got to look at the Old Testament for that one. It does. But God's saying, I, I want you to know what I want for your life, which is fulfillment, maximization, a great life. What I command, what I desire for you is not those things. It is one man, one woman in a committed marital relationship. Not we act married or we think married or we act like we're married, we talk like we're married. In a marriage covenant that we looked at two weeks ago. If you, if you weren't there for that, download that, that dude. Look up that mug on the internet and check it out. Get a tape or a CD, I'm sorry, tape. Uh, get an 8-track from Chris and living in the 70s. Get, get a CD from Wiggum. Uh, you can get that on Real to Real. You know, we can do it in a mime, whatever. But check that out. In the covenant relationship, Christ's followers have the greatest chance of fulfillment because sex is spiritual. God created sex to be spiritual. It represents sanctity. It represents covenant. It is a picture of Christ in the church in Ephesians 5. And when we commit to him in marriage, one man, one woman in marriage, God blesses that. Can, can I have sex with someone that's not my spouse? Yes. Will that be fulfilling in the end? No. Will God bless it? No. Will it re- release me from uh, shame? No. Will it bring more guilt? Yes. Will it cloud up my relational decisions? Yes. It will, because God said, listen, it's spiritual, and I bless certain things, and God says, listen, I created the thing, I created this, so I get to choose what I bless. I get to choose the, 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 the surrounding situation that I'm, that I'm going to have that's shame-free, that's sacred. God says, I hold that to myself. If you're here today, and you're married, and you still feel shame and dirt, you still feel guilt, you still feel awkward in the marital uh, bedroom, that is not God. I want you to know that is not Jesus Christ. That is not the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at this verse with me. Hebrews 13, 4, it's an amazing verse. Look at this with me, Hebrews 13, 4. 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Here's what another version says. Um, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. So if you come to the marital bed, one man, one woman, and you're under the covenant, you're married in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of man or not in the eyes of your family or not in the eyes of the bank account, but in the eyes of God in a covenant relationship, God says, I want that to be guilt-free. I want that to be shame-free. And here's the thing that, that I want to tell you. 
If it's not shame-free, if it's not guilt-free, and there was molestation or mistranslation, or you had a translation like in my family that, you know, different is good. We had the RB slogan for sex, different is good. And you've suddenly translated that. I want you to know God can untranslate that. There is nothing wrong with you. There is just something interfering with God's plan. There is something missing for you. There's information. There's healing. There's freedom that God wants to bring. So what happens so many times, like, all right, this is spiritual. I get married. I still feel shame. I still feel guilt. Something must be wrong with me. And God says, no, no, no. You're my kid. You're in a blessed union. You're in the covenant. One man, one woman enjoying this or not enjoying this. And I want you to. And so what we've got is we've got this interference. We've got this abuse interference or molestation interference or what you've done in the past interference. And God says, listen, I want to remove that interference. I want to set you free. If it's information that's missing, it is okay. God said, listen, I can provide that because it's spiritual. Sex bonds you spiritually when you're married. Because it's holy in God's eyes. Now, i got to say this for the guys. That is not the only thing that's holy in God's eyes. Because really, I, I'm amazed at what people hear in the message. And they twist this. Like, you'll take the twist and say, Jamie said to have make, play naked twister. He said it right in the message. I'm like, I never said that, man. You know, where do you get that? So hear what I'm saying. It's not the only thing that's holy. It's not the only thing that's sanctified. But it is. And I want you to know that God blesses that. So when we look at this in church gathering, oh, my gosh. Why isn't his face red and his pit sweating? And how in the world could his wife let him do that? You just know that God doesn't get nervous. He created sex for marriage. And he lets us freely look at this and explore this and say, God, what do you want in this area of our lives? We have to be ashamed of that. We have to be worried about talking about it. Look at this with me. You know this. We know that sex is emotional. It's a soulish exchange. Look at this verse that we've looked at all through the series. Genesis 2.24. For therefore, for a man shall leave his father and mother, shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a soulish exchange. I think that's why that God says what he says in Ephesians 5. Here's what happens, and we've used this example at LifePoint. If you took a bunch of colors of Play-Doh, and you tore off little pieces of Play-Doh, and you mashed them all together, twisted all around, mashed all together, and then tried to pick those individual colors apart, it's almost impossible. Because their soul, because it's, it's, it becomes part of the other. There's soulish ties when we have sex, whether we're married or not. And that's why so many times we've had a promiscuous past that God can set us free from that. We have to run from that. We have to hide from that. We just bring that to him, and he removes those soulish ties. You say, God, take this guilt, take this shame from me, sever it from me. Because there was a soulish exchange whether you were married or not. But we know this if we're married. I think that's why in Ephesians 5, he mentioned the emotional needs of love and respect. Because he knows that they are easily revealed in our sexuality. Men feel wanted in the bed. Men feel needed in the bed. Men gather security in the bedroom. Not, not all their security, but a piece of their identity and their sexuality is found. Out. Here, here's what we've discovered, those of us that, that have been a little sensitive, many of you know that. Women discover that before the bedroom. If you want the bedroom and your needs to be met, then before that, you've got to meet their emotional needs of love. You've got to give, give them the attention, the listening ear, the affection, whatever they need from you, because God wants that for their lives, and God wants your needs met. Men long to feel respected. Respect is nothing more than being believed in and validated. Women love, love respect, too, but men need it at a core level. 
Women long to feel loved. Men need to feel loved also, but women need to feel heard and accepted. And sadly, a lot of married people let this go after the wedding day. And then, and then some of us that are single or even married, we double down on a, a, an extramarital or something outside of the covenant, trying to get needs met, trying to get through the night or through the day. And we have this emotional lack and loss. And God said, listen, communicate honor and respect. Deal with the most difficult questions. Why in the world would God have you talk about the most difficult things? Sex, uh, you, you know, where you come from, all the things we've covered in the series. Because God knows this in the married covenant, that God knows who you can be vulnerable with. We want to show affection to. God knows that, that when we feel safe and secure, that we more are readily and desired us to express ourselves physically. And God says, listen, the safest place on the planet is supposed to be the marital relationship. Just because it isn't doesn't mean it doesn't work. It means that God sets something up that man is not willing to work at. And so he passes that off and he does what he wants and he gets his immediate needs met. And he has no thought of the future, no thought how this is going to affect me. God says, listen, even if that's been you, we can rectify that. We can create this together. God and a couple can create this kind of emotional bond together, it's unbelievable. God absolutely made sex extremely physically powerful. This safe spiritual thing called marriage. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. I'm talking about marriage where a place where men and women can explore each other's B-O-D-Y. And God says, thumbs up, have at it, enjoy it, be together, love, love on each other. My wife, if you look at 1 Corinthians 7.3, my wife insists on 1 Corinthians 7.3. I wish she would understand I have other needs. Like, sometimes I just want to be held or watch a movie without being ravished, you know? I'd like to get through Captain America with my clothes on, really. I need you guys to pray for me. That's a real need in our marriage. I've got it tough, and, and I, I, but I obey the Bible because I know God wants me to meet her needs. I'm just a good husband that way. God created physical intimacy for marriage. He makes it provocation. Think about this. God created sex before he, he, he created procreation, right? So it's provocation between one another. Let's entice one another. Let's love on one another in that marital bond. Let's keep it alive. If you look at Song of Solomon 7.13, I think God shows that there. I think that's the reason you change. The longer you've been together... The more you grow as a person, the more you change. Here's what God meant for that to be. Not for you to be like, all right, we're not the same guy anymore. We're not the same girl anymore. Let's go find somebody at work that's more like us. But to say, listen, I am going to keep growing you and growing your relationship and giving you new exciting things to discover with sexually, physically, emotionally, spiritually together. God creates that. And he says, listen, I want you to use that for provocation. I want you to turn each other on. I want you to be there for each other. Because in, in God's eyes, you are the only sexual outlet and need filler in, in his eyes. So you for each other. So you're her, her, you're, 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 you're her fulfillment. She's your fulfillment sexually. And God says, listen, meet each other's needs. It's provocation. Absolutely, it's pro, pro, procreation. But many of us, it's not just, some of us, it's just procreation. And that's unbiblical. That is not, I know it's 40s and 50s and 60s church stuff, but it's completely unbiblical because culture was a little more laid back. God was not all about that. God says, listen, I've created marriage. I've created it for provocation, and I've also created it for procreation. And we said, no way, God. We know that you're holding out. 
we know that you're holding out. So what we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to take sex and we're going to make it supplementation. I'm going to mess around. I'm going to have friends with benefits. I'm going to do what I want. This is the same things the Corinthians were doing. And I'm going to do this until you bring the right one. I'm going to cloud up my life until you bring the right one. Or I'm going to have serial monogamy until you bring me the one. And here's the problem with that. It never creates the end result that you want. It always creates more confusion. It creates soul ties. It creates spiritual confusion. It creates pressures in relationships. It's just amazing what it does and does not do. All because we're like, God, you're holding out. Then we've created this whole industry of exploitation. And we turn a deaf deaf ear, we turn a blind eye because it's in another country and their skin's a different color or their face is a different shape. And we do the abominable and the unmentionable. We let people go. We let people, we let people off the hook. We, we give people more for killing a dog than raping a child in our judicial system. We've got it wrong. It's unbelievable how we've gotten it wrong. And God says, listen, I'm not holding out on you. I want you to have great, fun, exciting, off-the-chain off the sex. But it begins in marriage, and it begins between one woman and one man. Isn't it amazing? This is so amazing to me. I've, I've lived long enough to look back on it because I've seen a couple, de- you know, a couple decades between, you know, really more, almost three decades between the time I hit, you know, sexual prowess and, and today. <laughs> and, and what I've noticed is this culturally: the more free we get, the more bondage we seem to be in when it comes to this area. I remember talking to my dad. My dad was real open with me after he became a Christ follower. Many of you guys know my dad's past, our family past. And my dad would tell me things that they did and all this kind of stuff. And just, just father and son and just being open with me about his life. And it was amazing that the things that were so secretive back then that he did, that my friends and, and, and me, were we could do without even questioning. And then I look back now and I look at the freedom that, that the things that we would have done in secret that we did do, but, but now it's like, it's silly if you don't do it. And, and, what, and, and you look at this, there was not near the sexual addiction and, and the concern before the internet. There was, not, it was, there, was no, there was no exposure to it other than a magazine that you kind of swipe or somebody swipe from their parents or a movie or something. But the more free we've gotten, the more in bondage we've become. The earlier we start playing with sex or having sex, the more difficult it is to navigate a healthy relationship. I wish that weren't the case. I wish, because it would have been a lot easier, that that was the case. Like, okay, find this straight and find this straight and find this straight and find this straight. Well, because, you know, there's just no pressure in that, and there's no, there's no commitment in that, and there's no responsibility in that. It's all about my needs and what I want and what kind of release I can get. And then you find that perfect girl, and then you marry her. Wow. Coming into life with that, I never realized the struggle and cloud it would cause and, and, and what I watched in other people's lives also. I look at this whole thing of being single. This is the biggest struggle for me when I, when I was single. I think in your mind, you think as a Christian, okay, I'm single or I'm young, and when I get married, but until I get married, I've got needs, so I'm going to get these needs fulfilled. And so you divert your attention to fulfilling your needs, and that's what the whole First Corinthians for single people is about in chapter 7, rather than serving Christ. And putting that energy and time to good use and laying up for a great relationship. Spending that time working on you. Spending that time working 
on, on your life and on becoming the, you know, becoming the spouse that you dream to be as a young person. If somebody could have showed me that, rather than me just trying to get some needs met and worried about what the boundaries were and how close I could get to them without messing up or God being mad at me. Many of us still live like that, even though we're married. Here's what you don't realize when you're single. When you're married, you've still got to control your urges. And God knew that. And God said, listen, if you can focus on me at the high, you know, like 18 to 21 for a guy and whatever it is for a girl, because I'm not a girl. So 18 to 21 as a guy, you know, you've got this woo testosterone blast. And if you can fixate on me and you can serve me and you can trust me, I can bring the right person to you. And then when you get married, you will know how to control those urges and you will be faithful and you will be committed and you will be more mature and you will have less fights and you'll know what needs you have and you'll know how to meet their needs. Because great lovers are made, not, not born. And this whole thing of the more you try, the you know, no, man. It, it, it's, it's, it doesn't create real intimacy. You ever seen a porn star? I, I, you ever seen a, I ever seen a porn star? I used to hang out with them. They're really cool. No. I, uh, on MTV, I saw her. Never forget this. They asked her about her personal life. This was years ago. They did a documentary on it. And she said, I would give anything. Start bawling to feel intimacy. I would give anything to have a soul connection with somebody. I would give anything to be able to kiss somebody and feel emotion before I got into this industry. And she's done, she's like taking it to the apex. You're like, man, she should have, you know, she's the most fulfilled ever, right? God knew what he was doing. God knows you have to, God knows you have to practice self-control after you're married. Some of us, it's been harder for us since we've been married than before. Because suddenly you put a ring on your finger and you're more desirable. Or you have more confidence that you didn't have before you entered that relationship. And you don't realize the relationship God gave you built a confidence in you. And you think about taking it outside of that. God's like, whoa, let's get back in balance, partner. God isn't anti-sex. He's pro-sex. Here's his only requirement. One man, one woman in a marital relationship committed. Period. That's his only requirement. Doesn't say, you know, don't mix the races, don't mix, you know, don't mix the y'all, and don't, don't do that, you know, age groups, none, none of that, none of that. One man, one woman, committed marriage relationship. I want to close with this intellectual connection. When you decide that you're going to connect intellectually, what we mean is is, is who we are and what we need. That you look at them and you say, what well, you know, what you're an amazing person. You have needs that I want to meet. I want to know who you are. I want to know about you. I want to know what you need from me, that intellectual connection. But also for us, because this is an understood you in our society, especially in church, it's really taboo, the instructional piece of sex. Great lovers are made, not born, like we said. And if you're, that part of your life is unfulfilling, God doesn't want it to be unfulfilling. Remember his only requirement. One man, one woman, marital bond. He wants you to explore. He wants you to enjoy one another. If there's a dysfunction there, if there's a medical dysfunction or emotional, remember, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's intellectual. God says, listen, I want to I be involved in all of that to heal you and set you free. God wants this piece of your life to be fulfilling. He died and rose again. Not to leave out sex or not to leave out your secrets, none of that. He, he died and rose again so your life could be maximized. And so your life could be fulfilling. 
And so that you could take every part of your life and say, God, I struggle here. I want this better. I, I need to meet these needs or I have these needs. And God says, listen, I want those needs met in your life too. And you give us a game plan for that. And the game plan is relational excitement, fulfillment, fun, creativity. It's amazing. And I want that for your life. Let's pray together.